Is he going to do something about it? What we're going to see in in Exodus chapter 2 is that God knows what's going on. God cares. And he's ready to act. And what we saw last week in Exodus chapter 1 is that uh, Israel was multiplying. They were spreading out, swarming all over Egypt. And Egypt got paranoid. The Pharaoh king got paranoid. And so he started a program of tightening down on them, of uh, trying to stop them from multiplying. First by ruthless, hard slave labor. And that didn't stop them. Then by assigning midwives to kill the baby boys as they were being born so that their military couldn't build up. And um, that didn't work because the midwives trusted God, and, and so they, they found a way out of doing it. And then he, uh, he tried increasing the, 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 the problem of killing the baby boys by having them thrown in the, in the Nile River. So he, he, he sent out a command all over Egypt saying, hey, take all the, the Jewish, the Hebrew baby boys and, and cast them in the Nile, the Nile River. So that's where we left off last week. Pretty hard place to leave off. And uh, so things, Israel is still multiplying. Israel, that Egypt has not solved the problem yet, as they perceive it being a problem. And so what we're going to see is God is preparing a deliverer. He's preparing his way of deliverance. And that's what God's doing in our lives. So we're going to read from the first ten verses of, of Exodus chapter 2. So if you would, please stand. We'll read those verses. First ten verses of Exodus chapter 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three, three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took him for she took for him a basket made of bull, bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know how, what, what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to, the, to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside her, beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and, and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to, to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So looking at the first four verses, and I encourage you to keep your Bibles handy because we have large chunks to cover, and so you need to make sure I'm telling you the truth, as always. It's a problem sometimes I have. I, I, I get off. 
I get off base. Moses' mother saw that he was a fine child, it said. And literally the word is good, so she, she, she saw that he was a good child. And so you might think, well, any mom is going to think her baby is good or fine, and that's true. Uh, one translation translates it special, and so that's also how moms feel about their babies. This is a special baby. So maybe that's all he meant, but, but I, I think he might have meant something more than that, the author. It seems more likely that she somehow had a sense that he had a unique purpose, this baby. He was a, maybe a favored child. He was a favored child. So she wants to make every effort to keep him from being found out and tossed into the Nile because the, the command is still out there to, to throw all the baby boys, Hebrew baby boys, into the Nile. So um, she does that. She, she comes up with a plan. And what we see is that um, they, they hide him for the first three months. And what we see in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, is, is she did this by faith. So I think we have that verse on the screen. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he, the child was beautiful and they were afraid, not afraid of the king's edict. So they trusted God. It was worth risking being found out that they were not uh, doing the king's will and that they were hiding the baby. They trusted God for it. And so they, they had faith to do that. But after three months, when his crying was louder, and he was just getting to be too much to hide. I mean, can you imagine? You've had babies, most of you. Three months old, for three months, hiding a baby. And in, a, in an area where they're, they're looking out for, for baby boys. And, and, and so it's pretty tricky how, how, how they did that for three months. I don't know. But she finally realizes, I can't keep doing this. So she comes up with another plan. So she uh, put him in a basket. This is before Fisher-Price came out with um, making river baby baskets. Puts him in the basket uh, made of papyrus reeds and waterproofs it with tar and pitch. She puts the baby in it and places, places it among the reeds in the river. So she didn't like release it on the river. He wasn't like whitewater rafting down the Nile River. He was kind of stuck in the reeds. So, and, and it's interesting, interesting, the word translated basket is, is used 28 times in uh, the Old Testament. Twice here in Exodus, referring to the thing that Moses was put in, and 26 times in Genesis 6 through 9. And what it referred to in Genesis 6 through 9 was the ark. So she put him in a little ark, literally. And I think that was very intentional. Uh, Moses, the author, knew that he was designing that you would see this is this is an ark-like thing that I was put in as a baby. Uh, this is God preserving Noah and his family in the ark through through whom humanity is delivered in the ark through the waters that, that would have destroyed them. So uh, in Noah's day, his, he was preserved, and the whole human race was preserved by being put in an ark through the water. And now in Moses' day, God preserves the future deliverer of his people, um, Moses, through the waters where he could have been destroyed. So it's a very intentional parallel. God is saying this is God's way. Uh, Moses is saying this is God's way of preserving his deliverer and preserving Israel ultimately. But by putting Moses in the basket or the ark uh, in the reeds of the Nile, it was still no guarantee that he was going to be protected. It was, it was um, no guarantee that he was not going to be harmed. This was a faith risk act 
on the part of Moses' mother that in effect was giving him up to the Lord to do what was good in his sight. So she just entrusts him to God and puts him in the reeds. Moses' sister watches from a distance to see what happens. So she doesn't make it obvious she's uh, connected with Moses, so she stands far off and watches to see what's going on. And then we see in verses 5 and 6, amazingly, Pharaoh's own daughter takes pity on the Hebrew baby boy. Her compassion overrides her, her father's nationwide ban, her nationwide, his, his final solution, his death mandate on the Hebrew baby boy. So uh, Pharaoh's daughter has compassion on this baby. And then we see in verses 7 through 10 that Moses' sister sees what's going on with her brother and in perfect timing approaches Pharaoh's daughter, which took some courage for her to do that. And she says, how about if I go recruit a, a Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter says, go for it. So Moses' uh, sister goes and gets her mother, in other words, Moses' mother. Pharaoh's daughter says, take this child away. She meets Moses' mother and says, take this child away and nurse him for me. What are your wages? What are your rates? Hey, you've got a lot of experience. I'll pay you good money. So she does. And can you imagine Moses' mother, uh, after having released him, put him in the reeds of the river, not knowing really what's going to happen for sure, because crocodile could have got him, uh, somebody could have found him and said, hey, these, these babies belong in the, in the river. I mean, anything could happen. But, but not only is he saved, but she gets him back. Is God at work? And she, she, she nurses him. And at the, at the very youngest, that would have been two in that culture, and probably she kept him till at least he was four. So uh, um, he would have been old enough at that point to start be, being able to understand some of his background, his heritage as a Hebrew. So when he's about four, his mother took him back to Pharaoh's daughter. Actually, he could have been even older because it doesn't say how old he was when, he, when she took him back. But, uh, and Pharaoh's daughter adopts him as her son. Now, that still was hard for Moses' mother to give him up, but, but it was incredible that she had him for, for those years. Amazing that that worked out. She knew he was a special child for God's purposes, so she released him. In. And I, I wonder, have you devoted your children to God for his purposes? I mean, are, are, have you put your children to, to God's purpose, his will to do with as he pleases? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're never going to see him again, but... The, God may have a plan for them, a kingdom plan for them, that takes them way outside of your comfort zone. You trust God for the outcome. The Scottish missionary John Payton said he believed God was calling him to go to the, the South Sea Islands to work among the cannibals. Many people criticized him because he had a great ministry going on in Scotland. And, and they said, hey, we, you've got lots of work to do here. You can't leave this ministry, and, and the needs are here. So, And besides, one old man said, you're going to be eaten by cannibals. And he said, well, you're going to die, and you're going to be eaten by worms. So that was his response. But his parents said, we already gave him up to the Lord. We devoted him to God when he was a baby to, to, to be a missionary of the cross, whatever God wants to use him for. And so we're all for whatever he thinks God's calling him to do. So we 
raise our children for God's sake, not for ours. So Pharaoh's daughter names him Moses, which means, sounds like the Hebrew word for one who is drawn out. There's a similar sounding word in, in Egyptian, actually, that means son. So she must have known enough Hebrew that she knew, hey, this word means son. He's going to be my son, and, he, and I drew him out of the water. So um, God has used women to thwart the efforts of king of what was at that time the most powerful nation on earth. <clears throat> and Moses, who was preserved by being drawn out of the water, would be used of God to draw his people out of, the, out of Egypt through the water. So Moses is saved out of the water, and his people are going to be saved by going through the Red Sea. But God's used women to do this. So starting with the, um, the, the midwives who feared God, and they, they wouldn't kill the babies, so that was good. And then uh, Moses' mother, who had risk-taking faith, and his sister, who was pre- preserved uh, Israel's future deliverer by being bold and, and clever in approaching uh, Pharaoh's daughter. And then it was Pharaoh's own daughter who pitied the baby who was supposed to be pitched into the Nile, paid Moses' mother to nurse him, and brought Israel's future deliverer into Pharaoh's own household and raised him with the best education, the best training he could get in Egypt. So in effect, God sovereignly used these, these women to get Pharaoh to prepare Pharaoh's worst nightmare and Israel's deliverer. Is God at work? You don't hear it, but you see it. Well, I'm going to read to you uh, the next set of verses from 11 to 22 in chapter 2. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a, a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were, were struggling together, and he said to the man who was in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and and drew water and filled the troughs to, to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and, and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it that you've come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and, and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left, why have you left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. 
Now, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, who's telling the story of Israel's history, he tells us that Moses was 40 at this point. Moses comes out to see his people, and he's seeing them as his people. He's identifying with them. He was 40 years old. And as he looked at their burdens and saw the, the Egyptians that laid on them, he sees an, an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. He looks to make sure no one is watching, and he strikes down the Egyptian and buries him in the sand, which, if, in case you ever need to know this, Sand makes easier, easy burial. The next day, he sees two fighting Hebrews. He says to the one who was in the wrong, why are you hitting your friend? The man says, you're not the boss of me. Who made you prince and judge over us? Are you going to kill me as you did the Egyptian? Oh, yeah, it's all over Twitter right now. So he, he gets worried. Actually, Stephen comments again, so in Acts chapter 7, that Moses supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving him salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. So he thought, hey, people are going to get that I'm here to save them. I'm one of them, and I'm, I'm here to rescue them. I've got a plan. But they didn't get it. God was actually preparing Moses to be Israel's deliverer, his, their leader and judge, but Moses was acting prematurely and taking matters into his own hands. So he is afraid when he realized the news about killing the Egyptian was out. And when Pharaoh hears about it, he seeks to kill Moses. For the second time, Moses is under a death threat by Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't succeed 40 years ago, and he's hoping to kill him now this time. So um, Moses flees to stay in the land of Midian. Now, Midian, uh, where the Midianites inhabited was... Uh, east of Egypt, and today it would be like Saudi Arabia, southern Israel, uh, Egyptian Sinai Peninsula. So they, were, they didn't really have their own geographic territory, but they, they were nomads, and, and they, they spread out over that area. The Midianites were descendants of Abraham and his second wife, Keturah, so there was some genetic relationship there between the Israelites and, and the Midianites. Even though Moses had acted prematurely, he wasn't entirely wrongly motivated. We see this in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. I think I have that on the screen for you. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. So Moses sacrificed a lot. I mean, he, had, he had a great thing going in Egypt. He could have stayed comfortable. He could have um, like just written letters of encouragement to his people. He could have chosen an easier way, but he chose to identify with his people and, and leave the, um, the, the benefits of Egypt. In fact, refusing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So she named him son, and he says, no, I'm not going to be your son. I'm going to identify with my people. Nevertheless, God still had significant shaping, humbling work to do in Moses. So, anyone good at doing math story problems? All right, so here's a problem. Figure it out. We saw that Moses is 40 when he comes to Midian, and then later in chapter 7 of Exodus, we'll see that he was 80 when he comes out back to Egypt. So, Moses was 40 when he fled to Midian. He's 80 when he leaves Midian. How many years was Moses in Midian? 
You guys are sharp. You're amazing. For most of you, it's not a plot spoiler to tell you that God will use Moses to deliver the people out of Egypt. So we know that God God does this with Moses. But but why does God wait 40 years before getting Moses onto his deliverance um, ministry and getting Moses back to Egypt? Why does he take 40 years to do that? Doesn't he care that his people are suffering under excruciating, backbreaking labor, slaving work? Doesn't he care that Hebrew baby boys are being thrown into the Nile? Does he know how much they're suffering? Well, we'll see that God does care, but his ways are not our ways. His timing is very different than our timing. In particular, God knows what kind of preparation we need before we can be useful for his purposes. So take Peter, Jesus, one of Jesus' disciples. Um, Jesus was preparing to go to the cross. He told his disciples, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says to Peter, will you lay down your life for me? You're going to deny me three times. Jesus knew Peter had a big fail he needed to go through before he could be used to lead the church after Christ ascended. Or King David. Uh, David was um, a shepherd as a young man. And uh, uh, God chose David to be the king of Israel. But first he had to work for King Saul. So he serves King Saul, who was... A king that God fired. God said, "You're not qualified. You're, you're. I'm done with you. I'm, I'm finding a new king after my own heart." <clears throat> and then after that, uh, David had to be a fugitive for several years while Saul was chasing him down, trying to kill him. So, even though God had selected David some years ago, he spent years being chased around by the king that God had fired, who was going to kill him. David needed preparation that, that God had in mind for him. Or Jacob, Jacob, who was Israel, had to work for his cousin Laban for 14 years before he gave him his daughter Rachel for a wife. He continued serving Laban for 14 for, for years after that. And even though Jacob was God's chosen heir of the covenant he made with Abraham, and it was going to be Jacob's 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel, God had a, a lot of shaping and preparation work to do in Jacob. So maybe you're sure you're ready to go do great things for God, and you may well be. Or are you ready for God to provide that job promotion that you think that you're, you deserve? Or you're so ready for that next big step in your life, but God hasn't opened the door for you? Or like Moses, you tried to force the opportunity, but now there's a, a dead Egyptian in the sand and you're in Midian. You made a mess of things, and and now you're even farther from from your dream or your goal. Trust God's timing and wisdom. He knows what you need in preparation. Now, God is not just taking Moses through random circumstances. He's working according to intentional patterns that he reveals in Scripture. 
we've seen some of this. He, he takes Moses through similar things that he's going to take his people through. So we, like we saw as a baby, Moses was delivered through water from those who would destroy him, just as Israel would be delivered through water from those who would destroy them. Now, Moses had his own exodus from Egypt by going into Midian before he would lead Israel's exodus from Egypt. So, so God worked in Moses' life in the same way that he would be identified with his people and go through ahead of them in having his own version of their deliverance they would experience. So these aren't just coincidental, interesting parallels that I'm making up. They are patterns that God sovereignly works in the, in the Scripture in his own working out of his plan of redemption. So when Jesus was a baby, Jesus, uh, there was an evil ruler who was killing the baby boys in Bethlehem. Remember that story? And God tells Joseph and Mary, go to Egypt. And so they go into Egypt. And so Jesus was delivered from destruction by going into and out of Egypt. So God uses these patterns. He sets up these patterns in Scripture that show that he's preparing his deliverer. Uh, and he's doing that in, as his plan unfolds over time. In the account of Jesus, when he was transfigured before his, into his future glory before Peter, James, and John up on a mountain, Moses and Elijah appeared to them. And Luke reports that Jesus was t- talking with them about his departure, which he was going to accomplish. And that word is exodus. Jesus said, I'm planning my exodus. I'm going to accomplish my exodus in Jerusalem. So Jesus had to go through his exodus of dying for our sin and being raised from the dead before he could lead us on our exodus out of slavery to sin. So these patterns are very intentional by God. So he's constantly pointing to, this is how I'm preparing the deliverance of my people. So we see that Moses enters the land of Midian, and he sits down by a well. So looking at verses 16 to 22, we see that Moses acts on his desire to deliver the oppressed and the harassed once again. So he, he can't help it. He's, he's a deliverer. He's doing what deliverers do. He must be strong and, and have some mad fighting skills to fight off these shepherds by himself because shepherds were pretty hardened guys. So he, he drives the shepherds away from, the, from uh, the Midianite priest's daughters who were trying to water their flocks. And he even does their chore for them, the, the women's chore to water the flocks, and he goes ahead and does it, and he does it in record time. Because when he gets home, his, their dad says, how'd you get home so quickly? And they said, um, they identified, they told him what happened and, and how Moses delivered them and watered their flock. They identified him as an Egyptian. Interesting. How did they identify him as a, an Egyptian? Well, obviously, because he walked like an Egyptian. Yeah. You only get that when you know the original Hebrew. It has nothing to do with the 1986 one-hit wonder by the Bengals. And he probably dressed like an Egyptian and talked like an Egyptian. So So their father says, where is this guy? Don't let him get away. Invite him in for dinner. So Moses ends up coming for dinner, and he stays for a long time, and and he gets married to one of the daughters, Zipporah. She gives birth to a son who Moses names Gershom, 
which sounds like the Hebrew word for sojourner, because he's been a sojourner in a foreign land. So he's constantly reminded of that by the naming of his son. So, all right, so what's happened so far? Israel is oppressed. They're working as slaves. Moses has failed to deliver them. Pharaoh has seemingly won the day. Moses is in exile, hopelessly distant from his enslaved people. Yes, God has protected and provided for Moses in Midian, but what about the people of Israel? What's going to happen with them? In teaching through chapters 1 and 2 of Exodus, we have talked a lot about God because we know how the story plays out. We know God's involved. So we, we know a lot more than they did at the time. But just in following through how the story reads, there's very little mention of God. The only thing that the only mention of God so far is that the, the, um, the midwives feared God, and God blessed them for not killing the babies. So this, where is God? Does he care? Does he know what they're going through? Why doesn't he rescue his people? What we see in verses 23 to 25, what God's doing. It says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and, and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God knew. So during Moses' time in Midian, the king of Egypt dies, the one who is going to kill Moses. Okay, that's, that's encouraging. I mean, it's bad for him, but good for Israel. But the next pharaoh is not likely to lighten up on, on Israel, which he doesn't. The enslavement of Israel is a systemic problem. Israel recognizes this, and they, they groan in their slavery. They groan. They cry for help. And their, their cry for rescue from slavery comes up to God. Hey, that's sounding hopeful. They don't know this yet, but we do. And their cry doesn't just sit in his inbox or in his email box. God hears their groaning. He remembers his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He sees the people of Israel. And God knows. To say that God remembers his covenant doesn't mean he actually forgot about it, as if he had good intentions when he made the covenant with, with their ancestors. But being God, after all, he has a lot going on in the universe. Uh, people are always asking for stuff, and so, hey, well, he just forgot. No. No, what, what that means when it says God remembers his covenant, he's, he's preparing to act on it. He's, now he's going to act on it or take it to the next phase. So what is a covenant? Covenant is an agreement between two parties that, that lays out the terms. Uh, sometimes it's one-sided, sometimes it's two-sided. God had promised to make them a great nation, make Israel a great nation, to bless them so that they would be a blessing to all nations, to multiply their offspring like the sand and the stars, and to give them the land of Canaan. God had also said he would judge the nation that enslaved them and would bring them out with many possessions. So they have multiplied all right, but they are still slaves. They're not a great nation yet. 
and they're not yet in the promised land of Canaan, but now the time and circumstances are right. God is ready to advance the next phase of his covenant. And he sees, he sees not one bit of their suffering and Egypt's unjust treatment of them is escaping God's notice. And he knows, God knows. He knows his people. He knows his people's suffering. He knows precisely how he's going to act on his covenant. He knows exactly what it will take to free his people. Some 1,400 years later, God's people would again would be groaning under the domination of a foreign power, the Roman Empire. God had ex- expanded on his revelation, and people now were expecting a Messiah who was a descendant of King David. So they're asking, what's taking God so long? Does he care? At last... In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, in whom all the promises of God find their yes. So God's all about his timing. We are not always privy to God's timing, and and we struggle with that. Have you despaired of waiting on God? We we said strength will rise for those who wait upon the Lord. Um, One of you read the passage, so we, we know that that's a good thing, but do we like doing that? Do we really think it's worth waiting on God? Have you doubted that he cares about what you're going through? Have you prayed for weeks, months, years, and nothing changes? In fact, it's gotten worse. Got a message from a friend out of town, and uh, she said that her husband has left her and her three boys for his girlfriend out of state. And he's turned his back on the Lord, and he's, he's drinking. He's getting drunk. So she's praying for his, his repentance. And how long does she wait? Maybe you're ready to be, ready to be married, and you've been praying and, and trying, to, trying to find the right person and it's been months and years, and you're not there yet. Or you or a loved one are in a prolonged illness. It's robbing you of abilities to work, to do things you enjoy doing. It's painful. It's robbing you of sleep. It's interfering with your relationships with family and friends. It's expensive. The medications have bad side effects. Does God hear your groaning? You're being harassed, criticized, lied about by coworkers or a group of people. Their accusations are, are unjust. People are turning their backs against against you. Are your cries going to reach God? He hears, he will remember his promises in Christ, and he will act. He sees you. He knows. Let's pray.
Father, we don't understand all your ways. As we look at this chapter in Exodus and as we see how you worked out your plan of redemption beyond Israel, this reached as far as us here in Camas, Washington in 2017, we're amazed at how faithful and true you are to your promises and how you've done way above anything we could have asked or imagined. Your people could have asked or imagined back then in Moses' day. We still live in a fallen, broken world. We're still hurting. We're still longing for things that that we think are good, that we we pray to you frequently about, and we still don't see resolution or help coming. Strengthen our hearts, Father, that in Christ we'll continue to trust in you. We'll continue to rely upon you. We'll recognize that oftentimes you're preparing a way of deliverance that's far better than anything we could pray for or ask. You're preparing us for your purposes of glorifying your name and doing what is good in us. Your work is perfect, and we, we know it. We have a hard time embracing it sometimes. So I pray, Father, for each of us here. I pray especially for those who are in long, drawn-up periods of suffering and, and alienation and pain and missing, uh, not realizing their best hopes. I pray, Father, that you will give them new strength. In their, in their weakness, make them strong. Give them patience. Give them fresh encouragement that Jesus is for them. He's doing a good work in them. And I ask these things in Jesus' name.